the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into Hour 3. I am Seth Leapson. It is a delight to have in studio my candidate for City Council District 6, Sam Stone. SamStone.vote is his website. He is one of the most uh, intellectually gifted, broad-minded, and uh, committed to the city of Phoenix people I have ever seen run for office, and that's why it's a delight to endorse him, a delight to have him here just to talk about the world, frankly, every week as much as it is to talk about things going on in our municipal government. Sam Stone, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Seth. Always a pleasure to be here. Yeah, you betcha. Uh, Folks, uh, let me make uh, just a a nudging reminder here that uh, you have your ballots in in either at home unless you've returned them already. If you haven't returned them, send them back. Please do so. If you haven't, you've only got three days left. The the sixth is the last day to put that ballot in the mail. That's right. So we're not even going to tell you until next week what to do if you forgot because we don't expect you to have forgotten. <laughs> no, we need you to turn yes, those in. Right. I mean, you know, pure and simple. If our Republicans turn out, we win. If not, do the numbers get... again. I love it. When well, I mean, we have 144,000 registered voters, 44,000 Republicans. It, actually, the turnout, we've gotten some turnout numbers in. There's about 18,000 ballots that have been turned in in this race. So I think we're going to be right around 40,000, uh, maybe a little lower than that. It might be 30,000 um, that come in via mail. And Maybe only a few thousand on election day. Okay. Um, so we have forty four thousand Republicans. If if all the Republicans out there right now get their ballot, turn it in, we're going to win in a walk. Good. I mean, those lower numbers benefit us if we can get them to turn it in. I only have data on the first four thousand that were turned in, and I got to tell you, folks, if you know someone in Arcadia, Ahwatukee, Biltmore, up into Sunny Slope area. And you're concerned about the direction of the city. I need you to call them right now and make sure they turn that ballot in because we were about 300 ballots behind the Democrats. Okay, good. And that's not good. We, we've got to be ahead of them if we're going to win this seat. Okay. One of the things I like looking at, and I'm sure you have done a lot of this over the life of uh, politics that you've worked in, Sam, is you kind of look at trends uh, that are going on. Sometimes they're national and sometimes you kind of put them together. You know, you look at what took place, uh, for example, with Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, and you look at what took place with San Francisco and the race up there, and you look at what took place in Chicago earlier this week with Lori Lightfoot. One can imagine here there is a trend for people to want to be serious about their municipal government, their city and local state governments as well, and you're a big part of that. So, you know, Sam Stone is part of this trend of keeping our city safe and saying no to the nonsense, saying no to the woke and progressive nonsense that has turned some of these uh, beaming uh, beaming castles of cities into nightmares. Yeah, right? and, and folks, do not be fooled. I mean, the mayor, uh, Mayor Kate Gallego, r- vicious, ruthless, but smart. Uh, the guy she picked 36 years as a Phoenix cop. So he looks like he's got a good resume. He looks like he will fit the thing. And a lot of Republicans are going, well, maybe he's more moderate and that's what we want. Folks, this is a guy who, you know, Seth, you know what the Oat Board is, the Office of Accountability and Transparency, oh. a totally misnamed thing that is there for anti-police activists to tear down the Phoenix Police Department. It was the brainchild of Carlos Garcia, the anti-police council member. Um 
we're up at a, a Sunny Slope Block Watch organization meeting. My opponents going, no, we got to get rid of vote. Now we go down to a debate in front of the NAACP a couple of weeks ago, and it's oh, he's singing its praises. Yeah. This guy is uh, two-faced as it comes. He's telling everybody what they want to hear. And I've said for years, Seth, you know this as well or better than I do, if you're talking to a politician who's telling you everything what you want to hear, yeah. you are talking to a liar. Yep, exactly right. Exactly right. And that's what you won't get with Sam. You will hear things you want to hear, and you will hear sometimes things that will make you say, I don't agree with that. But mostly, you'll hear things that will make you think. That's what we love about you, Well, Sam. and you're going to hear things that are honest. Yep. And if you've got a better idea than me, please bring it. Come with it, because I'll consider it. But at the end of the day... I'm not going to compromise the values I, I stand for. So I went in front of the NAACP, and I'm standing for the police in this city. How'd that go, that debate the other day? Yeah, you know, it so. went really well until he had the close. And, it, I mean, it was cordial. Um, I, then two things I'll say. One is, and there's been a pattern of this. So up at Sunny Slope, which is our first kind of on stage together, I talked about um, – Circulator buses, the little small buses, having them moving between routes, adding more of those. They're they're efficient, and we don't need the huge bus. Um, so two weeks later, we're in front of the uh, Phoenix Community Alliance, and my opponent's sitting there singing the praises of circulator buses. Oh. I, I talk at that forum about the need to cut the timeline for permitting for small businesses so they can get open faster, so they can get their doors open and start making money. We go in front of the NAACP. He's talking about cutting the timeline for small businesses. He says he listens and learns. I give him credit. He's listening and learning from me yep. and copying my talking points. That's it. And that's what all of them have been doing throughout the race until yep. you became uh, part of the top two. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and it, so it's not new, but it's it's pretty blatant. Two, he is incredibly dishonest. I mean, that's what I've seen in these last few weeks. That NAACP debate was fine. Um, but for one thing, he claimed he was endorsed by every neighborhood group in Phoenix. He's endorsed by none. I mean, there's C three charities. They can't do that. There's no such thing. Um, he claimed every police and every fire association in the state had endorsed him. He's endorsed by one police association and one fire association. There are dozens of each. Um, and then he finished. He had the final close. And you know, look, this guy now is calling me a racist. He's calling me a white supremacist. He's uh, it's the go-to. Yeah, That's he's go-to. he's you know insinuating that I am a Nazi sympathizer. Mm-hmm. I think Sam most, Stone. Yeah. yeah, Sam Stone, the Jewish guy, yeah. you know, yeah. we, we lost a lot of our family in the Holocaust because we came it's from Eastern insult, Europe. Yeah. It's pretty insulting. This this guy I've lost a lot of respect for. I kept saying, hey, look, he seems like a nice guy. I don't believe that anymore. I, I think this guy is just a, a political grasper who will say anything to advance himself. Well, we've seen that, and we saw that with a lot of these losing Democrats uh, who are running in all kinds of races, particularly we saw that in Chicago earlier this week, where they just go to the standard talking points where anything bad is automatically fascist or Nazi, anything you don't agree with is automatically racist. Uh, And it's basically a way to stop thinking. It's a way to make you turn your brains off and march lockstep, which I have to tell you is the true fascism. No, that is the true fascism. You're exactly right, Seth. I mean, you know, look, the history of authoritarianism is that it pops up on the right and the left, Mm -hmm. that people coming from various backgrounds both can be authoritarian. Um, But right now the left is a very authoritarian, monolithic, institutional block, and they use these accusations as their daggers. To, to quell dissent and make sure that you know that you're going to get your throat cut if you step out of line. Um, it's, it, is, it is very 
Um, Mussolini of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at, at best, it's yeah. Mussolini. Uh, but you, you see the tactics all around. Uh, you see the, the deplatforming. You see the hysteria over just the virtue of the fact that all Elon Musk was going to do was stop censorship. He wasn't going to put his finger on any scales. He was literally just going to stop censorship, and they went crazy over that. And then once, once, once you allow an open debate and an open and even playing field and plane of politics to operate on, that's when the name-calling begins from the other side because they try to delegitimize you. They try to say that you are beyond the pale and uh, have really no right to compete in the marketplace of ideas because you happen to be center-right or somewhat to the right of, I don't know, Joe Lieberman. They try and dominate the field. Again, the true fascism. No, that's exactly right. You have uh, the support of a lot of people in the community. You, of course, have the support of uh, the person who you actually used to work for, Sal DeCicio, who is retiring from the He's city He's been fantastic, council. yep. And you have support from people who aren't automatically uh, Republicans either, right? Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, so. look, I, I have worked this district for five years as Sal's chief of staff. I made good relationships with a lot of folks throughout the district. Uh, a lot of those folks are standing behind me, even against, frankly, something on the level of, of actual threats. I mean, kind of beyond arm twisting sure. by yep. this mayor. Yep. Um, and, and the thing I keep asking folks is, I don't even if you don't like me, I really question whether anyone thinks it's a good idea to create a system where one person controls an entire city. Yeah. I think that's incredibly un-American. Well, it's un-American and it's unworkable. Uh, if you want, uh, if you want to see statues. And uh, tote boards and emblems and murals to what that looks like. Uh, I invite you to go to Los Angeles or Chicago. I, yeah. I invite you to go to Philadelphia. I invite you to go to San Francisco, where they uh, have seven percent registered Republicans and people on the payroll at ninety thousand dollars a year picking up human excrement. That's right. Now that's. I mean, that's the future they're trying to create here. And look, I, I can hold back the tide if I get in there. We've yep. talked about this. Yep. I'll, I'll Dutch boy it for all I'm worth. Yep. Um, but at the end of the day, part of the reason I want to go in there and part of the reason I'm asking for everyone's support is we've been able to use a model of constituent service-based model in South Florida to help really turn Florida around Miami-Dade. I would like to try to do that same thing here in Phoenix, but without an office to service those constituents from, it's not possible. So there's a lot actually riding on this race more than – I think is normal for a city council race. An important race. Sam Stone dot vote. Check them out. Help them out. You name it. Um, you will not regret it. This is this is a Paul that you can get behind because he's got Phoenix's back. All right. You know what we're going to do? We're going to have a little fun when we come back. We're going to get to know Sam Stone, the person, a little bit more when we come back. Let's do it. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leafson Show. I am Seth Leafson. Delighted to have Sam Stone in studio with us, candidate for city council here in District 6 from whence we broadcast. Um, let's get to know Sam Stone, the person, a little bit. We've heard a lot about your policies over the last several weeks, a lot about your intentions and a lot about your political background. Tell us what um, you know, how, how you first got into politics, what motivated you to get into politics, and then we're going to start talking a little bit about you know, some of the cultural aspects behind you. Well, I grew up in a, polit- a pretty heavily political family. I mean, my father was um, you know, chairman of the California Democratic Party in the 60s, um, then left the Democratic Party and, and went and helped uh, Ed Crane found the Cato Institute, so became very libertarian. My mother stayed obviously pretty liberal. Um, but look, we talked 
we talk politics at the dinner table. We talk politics and economics and uh, sports, it, much to my mother's chagrin, sports. But I mean, you know, so I was kind of raised steeped in it. Um, and then I, I went into marketing and advertising sales, you know, bounced around a little bit. Um, I just found it unfulfilling. And then when I had the opportunity to run a friend's city council campaign in Tucson, I was like, you know what? Maybe this is the avenue that even if I'm not making the same kind of money, I can actually go home and close my eyes at night and feel like I've accomplished something that matters to someone other than me. Um, and so that's why I've been doing this. And and I still feel that way, although, man, there are days right now with everything going on that that's it's daunting, right? There's. There's this sense of doom that we have to get past right now. Yeah, that uh, th- th- that is something that is affecting us. Uh, the great uh, Canadian no- novelist uh, once said, uh, "Once said, beware the dampers and beware the cynics." And I do worry that we're in a very cynical moment right now. A- and in some ways, justified. I I don't want to I don't want to blame the cynics right now. Nine nine days out of ten, I I I'm cynical about the way things are going on right now because everything just seems to suck. You know, under that rubric of the old joke, this is why we can't have nice things. It seems like there is this giant suck and this kind of almost uh, getting used to a, a new normal where something about COVID um, really changed this country and it became, COVID broke it, yeah, a lot be, of people. Yeah, it became a trigger for just an, as an excuse for things we won't don't want to do anymore. And, yeah. and a lot of people don't want to do things anymore. You know, that's I, I, I think there's a retreat into a digital isolationism. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and, you know, look, I, I really I feel bad for kids right now. I think they're just going through a horrific experience. There's some data. I, I actually retweeted an article, uh, I think, actually from like Salon or one of those lefty things about it. But um, data showing that especially progressive kids who identify as progressives Matty Glessius, I saw it yesterday have enormous levels of depression much more than than among their peers on the right and you know I just think when you're creating a culture where you're constantly treading on on ever changing eggshells Mm -hmm. uh, that's not workable no I mean that's not workable and and you're taught to think everything is at the precipice of of collapse and doom I mean that is it's the end of the world of we as we know it kind I'm, of attitude I'm gonna throw in some, of destruction I'm gonna throw in something else that's a little cavemanish a uh, cavemanish of me if you will but I think there were real value to a society where you had to worry about getting socked in the nose if you said something mm-hmm. you know to somebody in a really offensive way mm-hmm. um and where that you know that didn't result in the person um you know, ending up with a lifetime scar on their their career and their record and all these kinds of things. And that sounds really harsh, but I think there's a certain level of civility that comes with consequence. And and we've gotten rid of that entirely. And I'm not arguing for a return to that, but what I am saying is that I think people need to be far more I have a handful of Twitter trolls who are just always saying, you know, really kind of awful things. Um I know none of them would ever dare say that in person. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what, I, what I'm lamenting more than anything else is this new digital communication allows people to be jerks in ways that never existed before. That's right. And and that's what animates so much of the school bullying stuff, too, is, you, you know, you can do it uh, behind – you can do it with a veil, behind, you know, covering who you actually are. I, and and you don't know where the attack is coming from, which is what makes it especially toxic for children. But that is what the uh, the disassoci- disassociative effect of social media has created amongst our youth. I, I look back on one of the, the best days of my childhood um, 
is a day that I my my freshman year in high school I was very small. I mean, I came into high school I was like four foot four or something. I mean, you know, tiny kid. Um, and I I was getting bullied pretty badly throughout that year. And right at the end of the year, frankly, on a on a bus coming back from a sports game, I got into a real fight with with three of the kids who were doing that. I ended up with a black eye, a bloody nose. I gave as much as I got, but I took a lot. I look back on that now, quite frankly, as one of the best days of my life because that day changed everything. They stopped after that. Um, And I'm not advocating for anyone's kid to go on a rampage like that. But being able to stand up for yourself, both physically and intellectually, I think is critical. And we're teaching kids now not to do that ever, not to do it intellectually even, that they have to give in when people are pushing things that they truly do not believe just because society says, you know, a certain portion of society says this is what is um, this is what is the truth, even when it's miserably wrong. What you're talking about is the coerced suppression of the natural human reaction. That's it. Yes. Thank and you. that coerced suppression of that is what will drive people insane. It will drive them mad. Yeah. It is confusing and it is confusable. And it's 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 very much part and parcel of this whole transgender movement and ideation. It's part and parcel of the disruption of, you know, normal conditions. Again, COVID, we told ordinary people that they had to isolate and we enforced lockdowns. This is abnormal conditioning. This is how you treat prisoners. This is not how you treat normal, healthy civilian societies. And, and, you know, with like the transgender movement, I'll add something else. Okay. One thing we've always known right, is that there are certain people who just aren't well. Yep. They're not, you know, mentally, they're not strong. They have a lot of demons of their own. It's gonna happen that in happens. It happens in yep. any society. Um, but you used to know the people you were interacting with and yep. talking to. So yep. when someone had a, a, you know, mental condition that was frankly debilitating, um, people did not take them seriously societally. Right. You know, they, they had compa- we had compassion for them. Yep. And maybe we didn't at times have enough compassion for them. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is that you could see that you were dealing with someone who's crazy. Yeah. We and didn't allow the inmates to take over yeah, the Social asylum. media yeah. takes away that kind of barrier. And right. so the, the opinion of the craziest, most mentally deranged person becomes as valid as the opinion That's of right. the sanest person. That's right. Back in uh, political philosophy, in fact, in those days, we used to say, you may think you're Napoleon, but it doesn't mean that you're Napoleon. And the sane society could tell that person that thing. Absolutely. And right now we're coddling it. Right now we're coddling it and encouraging it. We're coddling it. a lot of mental disorder. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so that's why I say it's time for a little more sanity, a little more political sanity in the body politic. That's why we love you, Sam. Sam and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Sam Stone is my guest. He is candidate for city council. You can follow him on Twitter at Sam the Paul P O L. If you don't like nonsense, you get you like common sense. You're going to like Sam Stone. 
This is the level that we've kind of, as long as we're being a little controversial, let me yep. wade into this too. Let me get in trouble too. <laughs> I'm not going to save all the trouble for no, you. I, I, let I, me I, get in the trouble I'm, here. <laughs> I, I promised myself, Seth, when I ran this race that I wouldn't limit myself the way a lot of politicians do, that I'm just going to run as me. And if people want that to, to be their council member, great. And if they don't, yeah, it is what it is. I'm Call not going to. conviction politics. Yeah. That's what we So when DeMar Hamlin had his attack. Yep. And. The players gathered around him and got together in prayer. Everyone in the country started commenting about what a beautiful moment that was and what a respectful moment that was and what an ideal thing that there exists in this country, this, 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 this you know, combative teams getting together, all praying for a person who may not be on their own team. And just and, – and I was thinking – have we really stooped to such a level where the ordinary, common, expected civic ritual should get so much praise? And the truth of the matter is yes. That's that's how far it's come, where normally one wouldn't think twice to pray over someone who is ill in front of you, and one wouldn't think once about making a thing of it and celebrating it and making it the topic of a news story. It is now because we have fallen so low. The ordinary civic ritual, like the ordinary, uh, the ordinary emotional reaction to a good or bad thing that we were talking about in the previous segment, is so it, 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 it's it's so uncommon. That's that's the level we've stooped to. We have erased such common and civic sense that we do elevate that which we used to take for granted, and we probably give way too much credibility to that which we shouldn't. I, I think absolutely you're correct. And I think a big part of that, and I'm Jewish and not terribly observant. I'm a pretty bad Jew, um, Seth. But, you know, the the fact of the matter is I think that this country and the world have benefited tremendously from organized religion over the years. You can point to its flaws and they're legitimate. You can point to things in the history of organized religion that are abhorrent. But if you look at the overall condition of the human condition – since the advent of Christianity, has markedly improved. And you can make an argument very, well, I mean, I think it's even hard to dispute the argument that Christianity was central to that evolution in humanity. Without it, there's no end to slavery. Without it, there's no suffrage. Without it, there's no civil rights movement. Oh, exactly. I mean, go back even further, caring for of course. You're elderly. Of course. I mean, that really was a Christian kind of concept. Of course. That, orphanages. You know, orphanages. Uh, caring and, for the I widow mean, and, the, and yeah, the orphan. Absolutely. Public hospitals. Salvation Army. Know, I mean, on and on we can go. All of these things. Um, and too much people have replaced. I, and I think there's a need in the human soul for a level of connectivity that is hard yep. to achieve on your own. Yep. And so I think organized religion has given structure to that and created those communities and those connective, those tissues of connectivity between people that they desperately need. And that has been, you know, you see the rise of the nuns, the people who have no religion and don't believe. Um, that is being replaced by politics. But politics is by definition a much shallower faith mm-hmm. than religion mm-hmm. um, because it's it's really a – Politics is is a matter of convenience more than anything else. It's really about trying to make lives better Mm -hmm. and easier Mm -hmm. and less challenging. Mm -hmm. Where religion, a lot of the point is to challenge yourself and really do a deep dive on 
who you are as a person. And I think we've really suffered from replacing religion with politics. It's interesting. We've made a cheap grace of religion with politics, yeah. perhaps. You know, it's about the quick soothing of, of emotional of emotional need through through our politics. Whereas, and yeah, that's another great point. Is we're looking to a lot of our politicians to do the work. That churches and synagogues, we used to ask them to do too. Yeah, there's, that there's, conflation is there's its a own very problem. Messiah-like element to a lot of it. Um, yeah. And and I, I'm you know I'm critical of both the right and the left. We have part. it too. Yeah. yeah, no, we have it on our side as much as they have it on theirs. Sam Stone is my guest. This was a short segment. We'll come back with a little bit more. I want to talk to you about books. What books have you liked over Ooh, the years? What good. books have I, now? Moved now you? you're in my wheelhouse. All right, here. let's yeah. talk a little literature and history when we come back. Sam Stone, samstone.vote, uh, candidate for uh, City Council District 6. Mail those ballots in if you haven't, folks. Be right back. Seth Leaps inherit with Sam Stone in, in studio. Of all the things he's done, I also need to mention he has his own radio show heard every Saturday uh, afternoon here on 960 at 3 p.m. Breaking Battlefields. Uh, it's Breaking Battlegrounds. I'm sorry. You should have corrected No, no. Come, you know what, folks? Go to BreakingBattlegrounds.vote. You can download all our past episodes. You'll enjoy them. Breaking Battlefields. Maybe that could be the next show. That can be the next that show That could be right the next now. successor yeah. show. Battlegrounds is the name of it now. But someday it'll be Breaking Battlefields. Books that moved you, books that motivated you, books that you recommend young people read uh, to understand life in the world, Sam? Kind of a question not a lot of people running for office get, but I think it's a good, it's, it's, a, it's a good barometer of how to get to know someone. Well, okay, so I, I tend to I, – I really like um, – I, I love Ernest Hemingway. I mean that's my favorite author of all time. And I would tell people start with his collection of short stories. I think they're, they're absolutely brilliant. I think what I liked most about Hemingway is, um, you know, he was really the leader of writing novels in modern language instead of in prose. And I think that gives a deeper connectivity to it. You can hear and see in the people that are talking. Um, the Old Man in the Sea yeah. is an amazing story, you know. Um, but I, a couple that maybe people aren't as aware of, The Sun Also Rises. Yeah. Um which is a really poignant story about a, a young couple on a train um, on the way to get her an abortion. Mm -hmm. And really the, the entire scope of life in the single night yeah. um, as they're discussing their future um, is, is really incredible. Um, you know, it, For Whom the Bell Tolls, is, it shows you one of the things I think that's most relevant to what's going on with Russia and Ukraine today is we have to be really careful in how we're judging people um, because I think that story, it illustrates the complexity of of the human nature on a battleground. Mm -hmm. uh, you have villains and heroes on both sides, um, people who are brought into it for very idealistic reasons but who find themselves in a war um, which is almost always the case, that doesn't live up to those expectations, the romanticism they had of it, the horror and the truth and the the, the animal uh, violence of it take away that, that gloss very quickly. And I think you can I, – I think that's a really important – especially for all the people saying that we shouldn't be doing anything to help defend Ukraine. Um, 
I'm of two minds about it. I'm 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 really uncomfortable with our what we're doing there. I I'm very concerned we're going to head towards a, a a ground engagement. I know we have they can say we don't have troops on the ground, but you know in some sense we do, whether they're advisors or or whatever. Um it's a really dangerous situation. But all of the geopolitics shouldn't take away from the fact that the humans who are involved many of them not willingly on both sides, um, deserve our compassion and, frankly, the world's compassion, and we should be trying harder to find a way to get them out of that conflict. Um, so I, I, Hemingway, obviously, is, I, I, to me, the greatest writer in modern history. Interesting. Um, Interesting. I'm an, I am an absolute Hemingway fanatic. Oh. Um, did not know this was the answer. Yeah, this no, I, I have read every every book. I've read a lot of his newspaper articles. I really think he is he's completely brilliant. I'm also a geek, um, so I do love Robert Heinlein. Yeah, um, I like I like I like a lot of times seeing things from a very different perspective. Yeah. Um, so you have a lot of these writers who were deeply influenced by socialism, yeah. um, but a lot of times their own works expose the flaws in it. Yeah. So you know if if you go back to um, I forget the Heinlein book where the the Earth ends up at war with its colony on the moon. Okay. okay. Um, but um, I forget the title. But you know, it's a, they create a very socialist sort of society, but then they quickly realize it doesn't really work. Right. And they're breaking down, and they're about to lose this war largely because they can't cooperate with each other in a way to to win. Um. So I think there's I think there's often a lot of exploration by the best authors who come at a novel thinking it will go one direction, but clearly as they're writing it and developing the characters and the, and the narrative arc, they actually learn that they, – they learn some things about themselves and human nature along the way and that changes the outcomes I think. And, and I think you see it there with some of the, his writings in particular. The reason I wanted to ask you about books is um, campaigns are tiresome and, yes. and you're putting everything you got in it. You're doing 25-hour days. Uh, I know that about you, and I've seen it. And uh, if I can be candid with the audience, uh, you came in the office looking a little tired. I, I'm, I did too, by the way. <laughs> but, so I'm not blaming you. But I'm at the point I am truly exhausted because we're, we're and we now want you that way. 14 hours a day, six and a half days a week. I, t- I take Sunday afternoons off, but that's it. So and, and the topic of the novel and movie Seabiscuit came up. Yes, and you perked right up. And people have said that about me. Um, I, I played around with politics once upon a time, too, and I was really tired one day, and someone asked me about something that was right in the area of, of one of my passions, like I suppose literature is for you. And they, they noticed that, oh, wow, that's, that's what we need to talk to you about. That perked you right up. So do uh, you want to say a word about Seabiscuit or Laura Hildebrand's book? Uh, yeah, so Laura Hildebrand's books, obviously, she also wrote uh, – uh, Crud. I just forgot the name of it. The the um, yeah. What was it? Uh, the war movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. We've or, had yeah, that kind quick. of day. <laughs> it's been that kind of day. Yeah. But Sea Biscuit is by far my favorite book. First, and she, by the way, is a shut in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, so she's had to do all her research even before the age of the internet by mail yep. and that sort of thing. Yep. It took her years and years and years to write Seabiscuit. Yeah, she has a, an exhaustive condition, a, yeah. a psychological exhaustive condition. And, yeah. and it is – Unbroken I think, is what we're trying I, to Unbroken, up. yes. And I think Seabiscuit is one of the great books uh, – frankly, one of the great books ever written. It's about far more than a racehorse. Yes. yes. The movie focused on the racehorse and the people around the, the horse racing element. But the truth is it's a book about history. Yeah. Um, so one of the crazy, crazy things was in 1942, 
believe it was 42. Um, there were, and, you know, you're in World War II, yep. right? Um, there were more column inches written worldwide about Seabiscuit yeah. than there were about Mussolini, Hitler. Yeah. I mean, all of, you yeah. know, Eisenhower, all of those folks combined. Seabiscuit was a bigger phenomenon than all of them. Um, and the characters that came to it, Charles Howard, who who became the uh, his owner. Yeah. Well, we poured – this country poured its status into Seabiscuit. It made the underdog during the Great Depression, as I recall the book, the underdog in the Great Depression could see themselves in Seabiscuit. He was their champion. Yes. Yeah. yeah I mean he was the and little – he could do it, they could do the it. The little discarded racehorse, much right. smaller than most of them. Yeah. Um, and, and great stories about him, him, you know, laying down. Horses, for folks who don't know, sleep standing on their feet. They can lock their, their legs. Um, most of them don't sleep on their sides on the ground. Seabiscuit would sleep on the sides on the ground for hours, which actually kills most horses. Yeah, um, I mean, he was really just an oddball yeah. phenomenon, and I think um, just captured people's attention yeah. in a and, way. Yeah, and if he could take on War Admiral, uh, we could take on uh, the fascism of Europe is That's basically right. what yeah. it came down to. Sam and I will come back with a concluding thought. A lot of you have been hearing me talk about Y-Refi for a while now, and if you still have questions about what it can mean for you to invest with them, they would love for you to give them a call, and they will put you in touch with any number of their very satisfied clients and customers in the Phoenix area who have invested with them and done very well. They'd like me also to ask you how your IRA is doing. Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or Joe Biden's economy or the Fed? Did you know you can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds and you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax deferred? That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA. You don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. InvestYRefi.com is the num- is the website. InvestYRefi.com. The number, 888-YREFI-34. A little bit of a different interview today with you, Sam, and I'm glad we did it. Um, oh, me too. This is yeah. anything I, you'd like to say. Well, you know away. what? Actually, Seth, I, I'm, without getting much more political, folks, this is the wire. Get out there. Get your neighbors. Call your friends. If you know anyone in, in Ahwatukee, Arcadia, Biltmore, up into Sunny Slope. Call them. Tell them to cast their ballot today for me. we got three more days to get it in. Um, then you can go vote in the polls uh, the 11th, 13th, and 14th of March, that Friday – or excuse me, Saturday, Monday, Tuesday. Um, no, I, Seth, thank you uh, for this today because, frankly, I needed something that was talking about anything other than politics and my race. And so I really enjoyed that part of the discussion today. And, folks – Go pick up a great book. Go pick up a book you've never read before, one you haven't read for 20 years and read it. Um, go next door. If you don't know your neighbors, go next door, introduce yourself, shake some hands. Find those ways to reconnect with our humanity because I got to tell you, the more I'm on this campaign, the more disgusted I get about politics. I mean, I'm facing attacks now that are, are really just gross. I've seen them. Um, it's gross. You know, it's gross. It's gross. Um and I'm trying really hard not to let that affect me and to stay with a positive campaign because that's been my intent from the start. And I, I think we've we've done a pretty good job of that. But I found these last few days I really need those moments to connect with things outside of politics. So thank you for having me in and having this conversation because this, frankly, was, was a very uplifting conversation for me. I, get, me I can talk – 
I can talk novels and history and all sorts of fun anytime. Good. Well, once you're elected, I hope you'll come back and do just that. Uh, absolutely, us. anytime. You know, actually, that would be a nice commitment, too, once you're elected, to have uh, this continued conversation where people know that they can call in directly to their city councilman and talk whatever is on their mind. Council so, meetings are Tuesday, Wednesday, so we can stick with Thursday just fine. And you will have, <laughs> yeah. and you will have a councilman who is more accountable to this community and more open and accessible to this community than all the others put together. That's yeah, what you get with without a Stone. Doubt. Thank you, Sam. Folks, thank you for uh, spending a little of your afternoon with us. We take none of you for granted that you would let us into your cars, your hearts, your ears, your rooms, your offices. really means a ton to us. Uh, Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth, and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 